I'm supposed to be doing something a bit special for date night. Oh, date night? Get you. Yeah, I know. She's making me think we should do something special that we need to make time for each other. Well, it's never been your strong point, has it? Being romantic. Yeah, well, Sally never expected me to make a special effort. Mm, yeah, and look how that ended. <laughs> it should be glad Abby cares enough to worry about this sort of thing. Yeah, well, I don't know what I do, do I? Day and night. It's just a load of American nonsense. Welcome to episode 130 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that has officially lost count of the number of times Tim's dad has walked in his own house to be confronted by people who didn't expect to be there and surely it's just a matter of time before he returns from the cop to find Grant the security guard's mum going through his utility bills. I'm Gavin. And I'm thankful for all of our lovely listeners. Yes, thank you listeners. Yes. We'll be back next week. <laughs> That's like the ninth time that I've done that joke. <laughs> How are you? How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. How was your Thanksgiving? I enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> it was the same Thanksgiving <laughs> as as you, usual. Yeah, you and mm-hmm. I had the same Thanksgiving because I said how was your Thanksgiving and you said it was good and you asked how mine was. <laughs> Spoiler alert: we already knew how our Thanksgiving was because we oh, spent yeah. it together. It was a couple of days ago as well. <laughs> yeah. So we do exist outside of this podcast bubble. Yeah, Things do. happen. We do. Yeah. Like time doesn't stop. That's good. We we went for just a. Uh, turkey breast this year as opposed to a whole bird and i don't think we'll do that again no although the fridge is happier (laughs) yeah and the and the oven was happier as well and it took less time to cook but it just it just wasn't the same was it i don't know that's it feels kind of wasteful how much food that we make that we don't eat no we eat all the turkey the The turkey's gone no but we do typically oh, eat all the turkey. Because I had one slice of that. <laughs> That's it. That's Since Thanksgiving. Mm. Yeah. You had more than one slice on Thanksgiving. No. You cut me a slice. That was all I had. You didn't get more. No. You didn't get seconds. No. What? It was weird watching the parade, which was basically I just... I never enjoy that. You know, the camera right on in front of the macy's store and them showing the floats you know there was no like walking downtown or anything it was just there and some of it had been recorded previously so the weather changes significantly throughout the parade while you're watching it it. there are times when it's raining there's times when it's snowing there's times when it's sunny it's like the dog show it started off with dogs and finished with cats (laughs) the dog show is good we love the dog show Again. Well, you don't, but (laughs) Stelly was quite upset when she thought that they weren't going to have it. Because I was like, there's no way they're having the dog show. But they had the dog show. Just with no audience. Significantly fewer dogs. Typically, there are 2,000 dogs at the dog show. There were only 600. There were only 600 dogs at the dog show this year. Still a lot of poop. (laughs) Uh, The Scottish Highland Hound won Best in Show this year. So, bully for Scotland. Yay. Yay, a Scottish dog won. Not the Scottish Terrier, though. 
Not the Highland Terrier. It was the Hound. Oh. So, you know, it looked different. And, you know, seeing all those people with masks and stuff, I kept crying. Yeah, you're in a bit of a weepy mood on Thanksgiving. I was really emotional. Like, I guess for the most part, the media I consume tends to veer away from being mask heavy, except for Corey. You know, like I watch old movies or things that were made before the pandemic, for the most part. Oh. Um, and also, the media I typically consume doesn't have commercials that are constantly reminding you that we're in a pandemic. So, those typically made me quite weepy. And it was a bit weepy because our oldest couldn't be with us on Thanksgiving because he's he does an essential job where he comes in contact with lots of people who refuse to wear masks. So... Gas station essential jobs. Yeah, you, you need gas to get places. Oh yes, I never thought of it as essential. Yeah. Since you can kind of pump it yourself. Right, but somebody has to be there to take your money, and you know, and also, a lot of people mm-hmm. buy their groceries there. Yeah, I don't know why they're so expensive and kind of low quality. Well, if you don't have a car to drive across town to Family Fair, and then drag your groceries back from family fair then you just use what's local mm. you know and there are people in town who don't have cars so um so that was different and i brought it i brought some food over for him Sally and i did we had our nice wee lovely thanksgiving day walk and that was always that's always good and that wasn't much different we saw some people we know having their thanksgiving in a garage Yes, my friend Steve. Hi, Steve. Hi, Steve. And he told you to bugger off. I said, enjoy your turkey garage. <laughs> your garage turkey. <laughs> I said that was a little different, but, you know. And then we played Scrabble, a new one. Yeah, of course. Which we all knew was going to happen anyway. But it was still fun. Yeah? The fun that we had, though, at the start of it was because the this isn't our box of... Scrabble because like most things in this house they come from dead people's homes <laughs> auctions or somewhere else. So this was a, a well used or at least used once mm-hmm. Scrabble board. Yeah it was kind of a vintage Scrabble board. And when we opened it up there was a sheet of paper from perhaps the only time that Scrabble was played for that board <laughs> between Grandma Becky Mom and John. and John, who were all really shit at Scrabble. <laughs> Grandma's first move got two points. Well done, Grandma. <laughs> and I think the winning score was 88. 88 yeah. <laughs> Whereas you were well over 200. 227. Not that <laughs> Not that you memorized it. I have the, the sheet of paper in front of me. Oh. Which so helps. you were Grandma. I played Grandma because I was G. You were Grandma. Benny was Becky. He was not happy about that, but he he, he learned to fill the he role. Powered through. Mm-hmm. Stella was John. Yep. And I was Mom. Mm-hmm. Boringly. But the <laughs> amusing part was that Stella also scored eighty-eight points in the guise of John, which is what John got in that game that was played. I'm going to say like decades ago, probably. That was an old old Scrabble board. Yeah, but I don't know. Because all of the all of the score sheets that came with that Scrabble board had been used and were no longer there, 
So I think it had been used more than just that one time. And I think that uh, one time uh, well, may have been uh, fairly recently. Maybe in the last 10 years. Well, nobody got any better at Scrabble. No. Not that we have any grandma. Not that we have any evidence of. We we don't have those even older score sheets. But I mean this was a board that came with a little envelope where you could mail away if you were missing tiles. Right. So that shows how old it is. That was pretty old. It wasn't the greatest board. The tiles weren't fantastic. The racks were quite good. But the, the tiles were The racks are always good in this house. <laughs> Set it up. The tail didn't have a dimple on the back side of it, so you couldn't tell which side was the letter side and which side wasn't, which is a little awkward. I don't like that. But still. The letter side is the side that has a letter on it. Yeah, but when you're taking them out of the the bag and then you're opening up your hand to look at them, you don't want to be showing them off to anybody. See, I that was the first time I've ever played with a bag. Typically, we have all of the tiles face down and you pick them up off the table face down. Yeah, that's not regulation. You gotta, you gotta watch Scrabble on YouTube sometimes. That opens your eyes. The World Championship a couple of years ago was, was very exciting. Genuinely. Genuinely exciting. I love you. It's 45 minutes long and it is exciting right to the very end. It's just a, it's just wonderful. The commentators make it. I may post that on our, <laughs> on our Twitter feed because more people need to watch it. It's really, really good. Oh dear. Uh, shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that thankful Cory news. Cory is the new Simpsons? What? Long before we were all wearing masks, the writers on the cobbles pitched an idea for a pandemic storyline. Did they really? Yeah, with the disease spread by Tyrone's pigeons. <laughs> It was scrapped as being too unrealistic for yeah. the show. Tyrone's pigeons, I think, is the unbelievable part of it. <laughs> well, it was spread on the street by Tyrone's pigeons. It, it 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 started. It must have started somewhere else for it to be a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Well, pandemic's start a pandemic. got to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, typically like a wet not. Market in Wuhan Manchester. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Predicting, Keep going. predicting the end times, just like the Simpsons. Battersby's battle on Twitter. Oh, yeah, this was unfortunate. Mm, yeah. I just finished reading this. Yeah. Well, fans and co-stars alike have been rightly praising Jane Danson's performance in the Oliver storyline. Vicky Entwistle, who played Leanne and Toya's mum on the show, threw cold water over everything by tweeting, imagine if she had better writers behind her. That really would have been something. To which Jane replied, shame on you for writing that. Very disappointed how mean that comment was. And while I myself have had some quibbles with the writing, I agree with Jane here. Time and place, Vicky. Time and place. It just came across as being... Mean. Mean-spirited, yeah. And, you know, it was hilarious because uh, Ben Price fan page in September had posted these things like what what coronation star do you want you know what character do you want to come back and she had posted at one point that she wanted uh Janice Janice to come back because you know she thought that Leanne and Toya could use her 
her support during these this storyline and uh Ben Price fan page retweeted that this morning saying, well, that aged well. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen now. No. You kind of burn your bridges with silly comments like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, time and place. Not right after Georgia had tweeted to Jane, you know, my beautiful friend. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in awe of, of your talent. Yeah, but imagine if she had better writing. It's, no, not the time. <laughs> not the time, not right. the time. You know. I wonder if... Fun. A slight amount of maybe post-show um, aperitifs had been had. Mm. Mm. Most people have a kind of filter that stops those sort of... Yeah. Although, having said that, we do this for an hour and a half every, <laughs> every week. Yeah, but we're just a podcast. It doesn't really matter Interestingly, Interestingly, between uh, Jane and Vicky, 10 years. Yeah, I think Vicky's I remember 52 that from, and, and Jane is 42. I think I remember that from when they were, when Janice was on the show. <laughs> a little young to be playing Leanne's right. mum. Well, and it's I mean, a kind of Gail and Audrey thing, the, isn't it? At the pictures, I was like, geez, they, she doesn't, she didn't really look old enough to be Leanne's mum. And then when I looked it up, oh yeah, she's, she had her when she was 10. Right. <laughs> Gail and Audrey are brilliant about that difference as well. Yeah. I think there comes a point. Right. Yeah. But anyway, we digress. Moving on. Moving on. Finally. Always moving on. Finally. And more Corey stars behaving badly. Oh dear. Colson Smith apparently doesn't know how to recycle properly. <laughs> leading to his neighborhood's recycling bins being locked down and his neighbors calling him an inconsiderate arse on Facebook. Oh, did they really? Yeah. He made a, a kind of joke about it on... And the Surface Cinema, Cinema Club, Club yeah. <laughs> wow, they really take recycling seriously. I forgot that that was a thing in the UK. But I mean, even when, you know, it's like, you threw away your ice packs? Why would you throw away perfectly good ice packs that you could reuse? Like, when you're exercising and your back is sore, you could just go and grab one of those ice packs out of your freezer and slap it on your back... Or on your leg, or on your shoulder. I know he works out a lot, so keep some of those ice packs. Don't just chuck them in the garbage, in your cardboard box that they came in, into the garbage where cardboard do- itself doesn't belong. I don't know. I'm up as as. He's twenty two. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all the explanation that you need. He's twenty two. How old is uh? How old are pretty much all of the? Um, eco warriors who are fighting against global warming these days. How old is How old is Greta? You're really going to compare <laughs> Colson Smith to Greta Thunberg. That's that's that is what you're doing right now. Yes, and you're fine with that. My point is that age is not an excuse for age is absolutely an excuse. Twenty two, I would couldn't be bothered to fucking recycle anything either. Yeah, but I still can't really be bothered to recycle stuff. You didn't stuff. have you didn't have a global, you know, meltdown breathing down your neck when you were twenty two. I don't think that would have changed my opinion. Although I that guess much. the the that hole in the ozone layer was there over New Zealand when we were twenty two, and when I was twenty two, you were twenty five. It didn't fix itself in three years. No, it didn't become a problem over three years. No. 
Anyway, that's Corey well, Everything that you, you'd learn about Colson from the Sofa Cinema Club is that he's a daft boy. And that's and who wasn't a daft boy when they were 22? That was it seems a like his boy. heart is in the right place, though, yeah. sometimes. I think my heart was in the right place when I was 22. I was still an arsehole. <laughs> Real enough. And I think of some of the things I did when I was 22. I had Nick when I was 22, so I was a responsible young adult. Oh, really? <laughs> I had to be. I was a mum. At 22. Mm. Responsible. I mean, I wasn't responsible in getting pregnant, but afterwards. That makes you grow up and become responsible right quick. Mostly. Is that Corey News? And that's Corey News. Let's do our mailbag then, shall we? Ooh. Chloe from Nova Scotia, Ren. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone at Talk of the Street Towers. I very oh, much you. enjoyed the bumper episode of the podcast last week, which kept me company during three complete loads of laundry. Oh, nice. Is that a good thing? Yes. I think we're more interesting than laundry. Does that is that what that means? We're more interesting than or as interesting it's, it's as something to three keep loads of laundry. Occupy yourself occupied while you do three loads of laundry. That's good. We did go on for a bit last week. Yeah, it's fine. You, yeah, because you, you know, that's fine because you just walk out of here hey, and that, that's that. At but, least, at least, at least she's not, you know. Saying, I love your podcast, I fall asleep to it every night. I've fallen asleep during our podcast a couple of times. <laughs> you, fall asleep, you fall asleep to our podcast a lot. There are times that I come to bed and I hear my voice coming from the other side of the bed. I don't do that deliberately. I hit, listen now. I, listen to, I hit listen now and sometimes it just trolls through. I've woken up during some of the, the poetry podcasts before uh-huh. and been fucking terrified that because some people like to play train sounds as they're reading poetry to us. <laughs> and at, the, at three o'clock in the morning in the pitch dark, when you hear a kind of ghostly locomotive and some guy reading reading poetry, it kind of gives you a bit of a jolt. Yeah. So, yeah. I woke up in the middle of the night last night and it was my Australian murder podcast playing. Yeah, so that's not a good one to wake up to in either. <laughs> Mine is Stranger Danger. I used to listen to Red Handed, but I can't listen to them anymore. Why not? This is going to sound so hypocritical. Uh huh. They're too sweary. <laughs> but it it feels forced. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my problem with um, my favorite murder. Forced swearing. It's, it's kind of. It seems like it's forced sweary and forced levity while talking about people being brutally murdered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, back to the mailbag. So Kev got back in touch. I didn't realise I rambled on for so long last week. I will try to be more concise when I say I wasn't crying at Corey this week. You were. (laughs) Oh, really? We all were. And thank you to everyone who dropped us a line to wish us a happy Thanksgiving. I hope everyone who chose to celebrate had a peaceful and revitalising time surrounded by just the perfectly bearable number of loved ones. Yes. And now this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And welcome to Last Year Tonight This Morning with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Reminiscent of Wagner. Any ideas? Reminiscent of who now? Wagner. No idea. This was Roy going to see the Stone Roses and talking about the Stone Roses with his brother. Oh, he said, uh, yeah. Uh, 
The percussion in particular was very reminiscent of Wagner. Ah. I was Gavin and you were stuffed like a turkey. Yeah. This was the episode where I started to insist that Paul's therapist looked like the hippie teacher from Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> Super Nanny Jade's secrets revealed with the help of a bunch of flowers, a quote from Paradise Lost, and a graveyard with generous opening hours. That was quite a good moment. Mm. Kel finds himself in front of the old Bill, who, despite having the Polaroids from Bernie, are happy to release him on a burglary charge. Yikes. Roy makes Richard's home help cry and then quit. That was quite funny. Mm-hmm. After last week's reveal, Michael wants to play the responsible father, and Grace isn't entirely against the idea, but warns him to keep his bloody mother out of her business. Yeah, good luck with that. Me. The Knicker people now insist on being known as the 50 percenters, which isn't nearly as catchy. Ray Weinstein helps himself to an early morning bistro cappuccino and then reveals he's dropping his lawsuit instead of his trousers for a change. An increasingly scorned Michelle does well to keep her dinner down every time Robert is within two feet of her, which happens a lot. Emma has an exciting Christmas offer that may be outshined by Steve's fancy needlework. Yeah, she was supposed to go to Australia and then didn't. Brian thinks it looks like Robert from a distance. From a distance. Nina isn't going to a fancy dress party. Mary is interested in getting her hands on Adam's fuse box, but not like that. Yeah. No, actually. Absolutely like, like that. that. Moment of the week is Evelyn viciously turning against Jade. This was when Evelyn really became family with Fizz and Tyrone. And boring moment of the week was Dr. Gadassi's biscuits. I think Moira's biscuits were involved in that as well, weren't they? Wasn't it Moira stealing Dr. Gadassi's biscuits? Maybe. I, I thought that was a play. post post something. Oh, Gav is also while we're doing the podcast watching the Aloha match. So, if if you hear him being shouty for no apparent reason, that would be why. Yeah, they're playing Hearts in the League Cup today. Exciting. And what a, what a world we live in. <coughs> or we can watch it while, make, while recording a podcast I can sit in here America. and eat in Rapids, Michigan and watch my beloved Aloha Athletic probably get beat quite heavily off Heart of Midlothian. It only cost 10 bucks. Nice. Only. Only. Yeah. Oh, well, it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> Shall we dive in, my dear? Sure. Our first storyline today is the troubles with couples. I had to kind of smoosh again. Because Adam and Sarah and Carl and Peter. Yeah, it's all and, the same thing. And Johnny and Jenny all kind of overlap with each other. <sighs> Johnny and Jenny. Johnny and Jenny. I'm... <sighs> anyway. You stay warm, boring moment of the week. <laughs> <laughs> on Monday, Peter's got his mitts on Tim's cab and apparently hasn't given up on finding out who Carla bonked last week as he's on his phone to a mate. Who has, apparently, who works in uh, security for that chain of hotels and Peter's looking to find a scumbag who stole his wallet in one of them. Isn't it convenient that Peter has a mate who used to work security? A mate that we've never heard of before. In that line of hotels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of convenient. But then they kind of piss all over the convenience because it... Turns out he doesn't, doesn't know any... Doesn't he doesn't help. work there anymore. Right. It draws a blank. It's a bit awkward between him and Carla who he meets in the street and then Adam appears out of Roy's roles. Peter suggests lunch at the bistro and Carla with the image of a sweaty Adam in her head looks guilty as fuck because she agrees Peter seems to notice that Adam is a bit standoffish Mm. 
So Carla goes round to the Rovers to see Johnny, who looks petrified to see her. Johnny spends quite a lot this week looking, <laughs> looking petrified. petrified. <laughs> she tells him to spill the beans, something's up. He tells her it's nothing for her to worry about, it's something for Jenny to worry about, but he hasn't found the opportunity to talk to her. And at that, who walks in? But Jenny. But Jenny. So Carla mouthies her excuses and leaves. Jenny wants to go away for a break because Jenny, but Johnny is still worried about the Scott <laughs> stuff even though it's been weeks and the cops still haven't shown up. That really is her solution to everything. It's going away. Uh-huh. How many times has she su- suggested that since how France? Many, how many times have they actually done it? Since France? Well, no. Like, in their whole relationship. They're, they're constantly going away for a wee bit because stuff. Mm-hmm. She had something else to the mix this week. Parrots. Oh, yes. You know what that reminded me of when she was talking about it? The sweary parrots. Well, yeah, there's that, which for some reason they were back in the news this week. I know. I think some people just took a long time getting to that story and were posting it as if it was brand new. And These... Oh, can you believe this? And it's like, yeah, I remember that from a month ago. Mm-hmm. These small kind of not really important stories kind of they kind of rise and fall depending on how busy the the news cycle is but anyway what they re- what that really reminded me of was that uh restaurant we went to in the cayman islands oh, with yeah, all the yeah. parrots yeah they were quite noisy weren't they yeah they didn't talk though no no they're still quite noisy hmm. the story kind of falls away a little bit with them not talking doesn't it yeah i think the one like at the at the hostess stand chatted a wee bit but that was a nice restaurant though good food out in the, kind of in the middle of nowhere which is kind of hard to do on the Cayman Islands yeah, I kind of get caught up in which one was which was that the seafood one they were all kinds of seafood they were weren't all, they? it was the Cayman Islands they all had seafood was that your birthday one or not your birthday one? No, the birthday one was the one where we were out by the harbor in the open air, the seafood restaurant. Right. By the country club. Yeah. <laughs> we sound totally like people we aren't when we talk about Shush this. you. I had some investments I had to check up on, <laughs> personally, which uh, neatly coincided with your 40th birthday party. Yes. So yeah, we decided to, to kill two birds with one stone and and hop in the leer. But not a parrot. <laughs> Jet over to Jet over to the Caymans to for Caymans. Ah, see how see how Margaret <laughs> was doing and <laughs> go down to Georgetown and check out, see how the the good folks at the at the bank were looking after her investments. Yes. And then rented a pink Mazda that had no brakes. And at that point, the fantasy kind of fell. <laughs> Remember that first yeah, rental like that we had to return? And smelled. We had to return it because the brakes didn't work. Yeah. And and the the lady there asked us if we were going to vote for Trump. Remember that? Oh, yes, yeah, so she did. And, and she couldn't remember who Trump was running against. And as you and I walked out, I was like, well, that's a bad sign. <laughs> right. I always kind of felt sorry for the people who have Ferraris and Lamborghinis in the Cayman Islands and the Aston Martins. Right, because... You can do 40 miles an hour. What's the point? Outside of town. Yeah. And you really couldn't open up much more than that because there's no real stretches of road. Yeah. It's all windy coastal roads. Right. 
and I mean, you get to a, you get to the bit where you're kind of out of town and stuff, and there are fewer people. But <laughs> been talking about the Caymans for about fifteen minutes, so yeah, let's let's get back to Johnny and Jenny. Because what's happening there? I don't know. What is happening there, Gav? Tell us. Oh, I fucking lost my place. <laughs> All I can see is parrots and seafood restaurants and lying about why we were in the Caymans. Uh, she wants to go away because Jenny... Uh, That's where we were. Uh, but yeah. But seeing Peter in that state has made him blame himself more for what happened to Grant and the security guard. What difference does it make now, asks Jenny, who's pissed that they're even talking about it. Just burrow it away, scrunch it in that little ball. And push it deep <laughs> down inside your soul. Right. And let's never talk about this again. He doesn't know how to do that and goes off for a walk. Mm-hmm. He's been walking a lot. Yeah. Peter and Carla meet in the bistro. He's had a meeting, but his cravings are their usual background level, which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Is that a good thing? Let's call it a good thing. Okay. Carla thinks that this is all weird. She's not sure they can move on from what happened last week. He thinks they're being honest with each other, but she's not sure that they're being honest to themselves. Can he really forgive her? He thinks they've been through worse. Then Sarah is trying to coax Shona into wearing something more appropriate for the school run. Oh, yeah. This was... This 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 wasn't too bad as far as Shona behaving badly is is concerned. You think? Yeah. I kind of hated it. Well, you hate all the Shona stuff now. I do. You do. But I mean, at least she wasn't making cakes with cheese balls. True. She was slightly inappropriate. Well, what she was wearing was inappropriate for a kickoff. Right. Yeah. But I mean. Was she really going to be getting out of the car? Weren't, weren't they just going to be pulling up to the school? The kids jump in the car and then they leave? I mean, how many people were really going to see her dressed inappropriately? And I have seen mums at school pickup much more inappro- inappropriately dressed than that. Thank you very much. At least all her bits were covered. Adam comes. There's people who don't have all their bits covered. Only to go on the school run once or twice. <laughs> Alan comes along and tries to do some smooth talking. He wants to try again. He doesn't want their marriage to end without a fight. He meant what he said in his voicemail. He's never loved anyone like he loved her. She agrees to try to hang out together as friends and then see how it goes. Then Shona locks herself in the house with a, and she's got a hold of the the car keys. Hilarious. Hilarity ensues. After her lunch with Peter, Carla gets back to the rovers. And oh, when and she, Adam goes to pick up the kids. We haven't got to that bit yet. And when she asks how things went with Johnny, Jenny breaks down. Right, you spill the beans this time, Carla says. So, back at the um, number eight, Shona refuses to come out. So, Adam, he tries to talk her out by saying... How you doing? Come out. And she's like, bolt. Yeah. So he says that he'll go and pick up the kids for Sarah. Mm-hmm. And when he's gone, Shona draws a heart in the window saying that there's hope for Sarah and Adam yet. Yeah. Now Carla knows almost everything and doesn't think Johnny was involved in a violent act. Thinks that they should move on because she hasn't really told, she hasn't told them everything. Right. Jenny explains about Grant, the security guard, drinking himself to death. Yeah, yeah okay. <coughs> so... Later, back at number eight, the kids are at home and silently imprisoned upstairs. Shona is excited to point out that Sarah has something to ask Adam, and she's like a kid when she asks him out for a drink. They arrange to go to the bistro at half six because Summer and Todd and Billy and Paul are in Speeddal, and Carla and Jenny and Johnny are in the Rovers. So right. that's the only place else that they can go. Right. 
Jenny's surprised that Carla isn't more upset by what Johnny did in the past, but Carla says hypocrite isn't a colour that she suits, and although Jenny's intrigued, Carla doesn't expand on it. In comes Johnny from his walk. He senses that Jenny has spilled to Carla. Johnny insists that a man died because of him, and he's never been punished for it. Jenny can't listen to this and she leaves. Carla isn't finished with Johnny yet, though. So, Sarah and Adam are in the bistro. They chat about David and Shona and how David is doing anything to make it work with, uh, with his wife, and Sarah's willing to put the past in the past. His sleeping with someone else was just sex, and while it hurts, the news that is, she's not around every day to rub her nose in it, whoever it was. Mm-hmm. That, what was her name? Because she, she's referring back to... Yeah, that lady. Naomi. Was it Naomi? Naomi? Yeah, I think so. Adam tries to come clean, but she talks over him and they end up ordering with plans for getting their hole after dinner. Uh-huh. He tries to, to own up, but he doesn't try Very hard. particularly hard. Because no. he could just say, look. No, wait. No, stop. I need to tell you this. Because I shagged Carla. Are we still okay? <laughs> <laughs> Back at the Rovers, Johnny calls himself a coward. Carla says that the boot fits her too. When Tony had Liam killed, she ran off to LA. Rather glamorous, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Jenny didn't know this, uh, but his da- his deal is different. She was innocent. She points out that she chose not to go to the police. Him doing time now isn't going to make any difference, and he didn't force Grant, the security guard, to drink himself to death. That sounds quite similar to uh, to Sarah knowing what Gary did to Rick the Chin. Although Sarah's not going to LA anytime soon. No. During a pandemic. But still, I don't even know. Can we... I know the border to Canada is still closed. Is that still closed? I was thinking yeah. about that this week. I don't know why. Yeah. It's still closed. About Mexico. I don't know. I think Mexico is still closed too. I think we're still stuck here. Trapped. Like rats. In a cage. In a sinking ship. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> so, Johnny says, what if... Uh, it was that one thing that pushed Grant the security guard over the edge. Carla says, by that logic, what she's just done to Peter might make her a murderer. She starts to cry and confesses to cheating on him, just the once. But according to Johnny, once is enough. And then Johnny makes that face. You know that face. Yes, like, uh, that, like he's on the toilet. Right. Um, She doesn't confess who. No, she does not. Markedly, no. she does not. No. On Wednesday, Carla has gotten Peter a special coffee, but he thinks there's no need. Every time she does something nice, he ends up being suspicious about it. Fair enough, you're a twat, she says, and then heads off to work. <laughs> I loved that. I loved that so much because she's not wrong. And he seemed quite happy with that. Yeah. He preferred it. Yeah. Meanwhile, Johnny is trying to conceal his joint pain as Jenny blabbers on about uh, old landladies of the Rovers. He says he's all out of sorts, but it's guilt rather than his MS. He gets up to go for a walk and then falls on the sofa. Yeah. No stuntmen were required for that. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out it's a pseudo-relapse, whatever that is. Uh Johnny wants to face facts about the robbery. He deserves to be punished. He says it's never going to go away. So Jenny goes to make some tea. Which makes everything better. Yep. Later, Johnny and Jenny are in the bar when Grant, the security guard's mum, turns up wanting a word with Johnny. How does she know that he owns a pub? I was thinking back to when they met the first time. Remember, off camera, he went to her house and one one can only imagine her looking out her living room window to see Johnny standing, staring at the house. Right. And then she followed him back to Coronation Street. Right. But they sat in the community garden, if I remember. 
But I think he, she saw him like walking towards the rovers or, or going to the rovers. I don't know. I don't think that happened. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care either, but there's so many parts of the storyline that confuse me. And this I, is one of them. I, How did Grant, the security guard's mum, know just to walk into the rovers and Johnny would be there? Right. The police have a lead on the burglar's accomplice, she says. Really? Because what? the police haven't come to uh, talk to Johnny at all. Right. What, what are they waiting for? What are they waiting for? Maybe it was raining. Seriously. What are they waiting for? Oh, there's a KFC in the other one now. That wasn't there when I was there. You see it? I, I see the KFC, yes. That, whole, that must smell like KFC. The whole... That must be really distracting. Right. Because it makes you want a KFC. Instead of kicking a ball around. And then you have a KFC, and then you regret having a KFC. And then you can't really kick a ball around. No. Fried chicken in your gut. Bleh. I wonder if it tastes the same as the KFC here. It does. The difference is you get fries, get proper fries at KFC in the UK. They're decent. <clears throat> I like McDonald's fries, even though they're so far away from potatoes, it's not true. Burger Kings, I don't really like. Yeah, I prefer McDonald's, I think. KFCs are good. But then you don't get them here, you get potato wedges. Yeah. It's not the same thing. So, uh, Grant the security guard's mum explains to Jenny that Grant the security guard died 37 years ago after that lunatic ran him over. Johnny tells Grant the security guard's mum to explain what happened to Jenny so she can understand. So that's what happens. As far as she's concerned, it was a hit and run and the same as murder. And Johnny nods his head and agrees. Yes. Yes, Yes, murder. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> do you know have you seen uh was it take me to hell what was this that sam raimi movie with the the wee uh the wee woman that got run over and she had a, a dodgy eye uh-huh take me to hell straight to hell something like that a real good pg-13 horror movie drag me to hell drag me to hell yeah. that was it grant the security guards mum reminds me of that old lady and from what you just said there, it made me think of it. Yes. <laughs> I think, no, I was going to say something uncharitable. Now, what else is new? Someone has invited Grant, the security guard's mum, through at the back, where she continues on her script about not getting over losing Grant, the security Johnny guard. Johnny did. Johnny said, let's go to the back and, and chat. She hasn't had anything to live for for the last 37 years. Really? <laughs> Nothing. Not Nothing. a thing. Nothing. Johnny apologises and admits to being the driver. Grant, the security guard's mum, asks if he's the monster who ran while his mate gave Grant, the security guard, a good kicking. What? Yeah. Asks Johnny yeah. on, on behalf of the audience. And so do we. This is news to Johnny, but Jenny, oddly, seems utterly convinced. This is why he's felt guilt all these weeks, because involve, his involvement was worse than he admitted. Johnny promises Jenny... And Grant, the security guard's mum, that he knew nothing about it. He only hit Grant, the security guard, a little bit with his car. And that was it. This is all so very, very confusing. It was just a little bit. It was just a tap. Just a tip. <laughs> but you're right. It's 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 weird and frustrating because this is this is the first we've heard that Scott <laughs> beat up the security guard. And this is and this has been this problem with this whole thing, because you know, 
this the security guard's mom was like you know he he never got over his injuries and stuff and it's like didn't he just like clip him because he didn't like actually run over his body no we know he didn't really run him over so all this time it's been like that must have hurt but would that drive you to drink and it never made sense. And now it makes sense that Scott beat the crap out of him. That doesn't drive you to drink either, does it? Well, it, depending upon how bad the beating was. So, from Johnny, did Scott contribute to the story? I can't remember. But from Johnny and Grant, the security guard's mum, what we knew was there was a robbery. Johnny's a getaway driver, so presumably he's sitting in the car. Scott, who's doing the robbery, because it's just the two of them, isn't it? Mm. He runs out of the warehouse or whatever, jumps in the car. Grant, the security guard, gives chase, runs towards the front of the car, probably. Johnny drives off, clips Grant, the security guard, injures him. Scott's not in the car. But Scott's not in the car. No. And we knew Scott wasn't in the car, because that's how Scott got caught. But Johnny right. didn't. Okay, right, so that makes sense then. Yes. Johnny panicked and drove away because it was his first robbery. He didn't know what he was doing. Wait, so Johnny sees a security guard and panics and drives off leaving his mate. Yeah. Oh, he deserves everything he's getting there. <laughs> what a wuss. And I guess the alarm was going off too, and I don't know if the security guard had a gun. I mean, that was a long time ago. Okay, so this is all starting to make a little bit sense because <laughs> I, I always imagined Scott being in the car, but you're right because he abandoned Scott and Scott got caught. Right. So he d- drove off. And that's why and Scott's Scott been angry all this said, time. Scott just must have said, well, fuck it, I may as well just beat the crap out of this guy. Right. And that's what happened. But Or he was transferring his anger at Johnny driving away onto the security guard. And we know he has a temper. We do. So... Because, remember... Uh, Scottish Vicky's boyfriend there. Jordan. Yeah. It, with the two of them got beat up by Scott. They were both hospitalized. Yeah, because he of has it. a temper. He has a temper and he can beat the crap out of you and put you in the hospital. But Grant, the security guard's mum, chose not to mention any of this part. Until now. Right. <laughs> okay. I'm I'm still a little confused, but I'm less confused than I was now that I That's now... the bit that doesn't make sense and is frustrating to me is right, that okay. just now we're learning that Scott beat up. And Scott never said anything about beating up the security guard. No, he was quite happy to let Johnny think that this was all his fault. Right. Which, I, which starts to make sense a little bit as well. A little, yeah. Uh, okay. I've caused this for myself just by imagining Scott to be in the passenger seat, <laughs> which of course he wasn't. No. I'm a writer. Yeah, that, you. that plot just whoosh. whoosh. Straight over my head. Meanwhile, Peter, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory looking for Carla, but Sarah hasn't a scooby where We're she is. still on the first storyline. Right. So, <laughs> I can wait, says Peter, but he expected to find Carla there because she said that she had a really busy day. Right. But, but she didn't say she had a really busy day at the factory. She didn't say, I have a really busy day, I'll be at the factory all day long because it'll be a really busy day. There's factory work that happens outside the factory. Yeah. Grant, the security guard's mum, asked if Johnny was able to live off what he stole that night. 
Johnny's sorry. He doesn't say that he did. Tell it to the police. And also, how he didn't he didn't get any of the money that they stole because no. Scott never got to the car. No, he got arrested and presumably the money went back to the warehouse. Right. Tell so, that to the police, says Grant, the security guard's mum. See, asks Jenny, told you this would happen. So she runs after Grant, the security guard's mum. She makes a plea for Johnny, who's a good guy who has spent every single hour of every single day of the last four or five weeks thinking about Grant, the security guard. Jenny understands the loss and she explains about her drowned son. Grant, the security guard's mum asked if Tom had died at someone else's hands. How easy would Jenny find it to walk away? As a wife, it's understandable. As a mother, shame. 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 Ding and Grant, dong, the security guard's mum, gets in a taxi. Ding dong, ding dong. Why Jenny doesn't mention the MS is baffling to me. Please have mercy. He has MS. He will die in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, she talks about the MS so often. Right. Why not mention it now where it Apparently may make a difference? he has an MS nurse. In the back room, Grant, the security guard's mum, has been replaced by Peter, who is very suspicious when Carla comes home. He thought she was working. She says she had lunch with Maria and goes off for a shower, leaving Peter feeling like a prick. Right, and goes into great detail about what she and Maria ate. Mm-hmm. Now Carla is out in the yard where she finds an upset Jenny. Jenny explains about Johnny's confession to Grant the security guard's mum, but doesn't mention about the other bit, the bit where someone beat Grant the security guard up that Johnny somehow didn't know about. And Carla catches up with Johnny later. She tells him Jenny's in bits, but he doesn't want to take Jenny down with him. He doesn't want to ruin her life too. Carla doesn't think he's going to have much say in the matter. And then Johnny looks like he has a plan or needs a toilet. (laughs) Or both. Why not both? Maybe his plan is to go to the toilet. <laughs> then on Friday. <laughs> and remember, on Friday, there's other stuff going on. Right, yeah. When this happens. Jenny's telling Johnny. Ridiculousness happens on Friday. It's, when much more important things are going on that. <sighs> remember when. This the other storyline got an entire episode to to live and breathe and to spread out. And yeah, I'm wondering why they chose to do that then and not this week. Right. Yeah. Because, because the alternative was putting other storylines up against it that really did not go together well. No. As we will discover. Yes. Right, right now. now. Right now. Right now. So Jenny's telling Johnny about a Morrissey loving parrot she read about, and already. Already, it's a Morrissey-loving parrot. <laughs> is this supposed to take our minds off the fact that Oliver is dying? Is it? Well, it doesn't. Maybe they could get one. Seriously, when it's not nagging Johnny to go off on vacation, it's about buying avian pets. Johnny gives it the green light anyway because he doesn't give a fuck anymore because he's going to be banged up in jail. That was quite funny. Mm-hmm. Johnny could just do whatever the fuck you like because it doesn't I matter. I won't be here. Right. Jenny thinks that he should deny his confession. This wasn't his fault and she's not letting him go to prison. Then she gets a call from someone she seems very pleased to hear from. And later, she tells Johnny that it was her ex-stepdaughter, Daisy, that was on the phone. If you have to introduce someone as an ex-stepdaughter, it's not a name that trips over your lips all that often. She and her boyfriend are dropping in for lunch on their way to Edinburgh. She's not seen Daisy for years, but Johnny doesn't think this is a great idea. They've closed the pub to deal with all the shite, and they're expecting a visit from the police. But Jenny wants to see Daisy, so she'll get to see Daisy. And she fucks off to the shops and asks him to tidy up. But instead, he goes to see Adam. 
I desperately need some legal help. Adam's pretending to be busy. Yeah. Well, you'll need to make an appointment, Johnny. I'm, I'm swamped with work. Kind of reading this magazine at the moment. <laughs> he gets back to the pub and Jenny's tidying up. Blissfully. I think he just doesn't want to help Johnny because Johnny is Carla's dad. Yeah, maybe. Blissfully ignoring anything negative that Johnny has to say, up to and including the moment he asks for a divorce. She doesn't believe him, and then she gets a text that Daisy is outside waiting. So she goes to get her and tells him to be welcoming. So we meet Daisy and her bloke, and apparently Jenny has uh, planned fish for lunch when neither of them eat it. Not really a safe choice, is it? Throw a lunch and have fish with people that you hardly know. You make a shrimp casserole and a peanut sauce. It was trout. No, but I'm yeah, exaggerating yeah, for yeah, hopefully can be the shrimp effect. and peanut are both highly allergenic. Yeah, that, that isn't accidental. That that's that's the joke, is it? Right. Okay. I'm glad we had to dissect that into its component parts just to figure out how it worked. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Daisy is happy just to see Jenny, and Jenny continues to make a fuss, makes it awkward, made worse by them all standing in separate corners of the pub, and rambles on about where Johnny has got to. Johnny comes out looking like he's just put his dog to sleep or Grant the security guard's moments pretending to be Daisy. Jenny laughs and introduces Daisy and Lee. Jenny continues to rant uncontrollably, leaving Lee and Daisy to exchange glances. Daisy asks for a tour of the place and Jenny obliges, telling Johnny to cheer the fuck up. That's right. Cheer the fuck right up. What Johnny hears, though, is get wired in at that whiskey. So that's what he does. Jenny's still ignoring everything that's happening around her. He insists that he wants a divorce and she's just helping him realise this by how she's behaving. Meanwhile, Daisy and Lee think it's okay to stand on the other side of the door to the back room and eavesdrop on Johnny telling Jenny... In fairness, just Daisy thinks it's okay. Lee says to her, yep, let's let's yeah, go back in. So That's the eavesdrop why on... Lee is the boring member right. of that pair. His hair was curious. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I remember about him. So, the eavesdrop on Johnny telling Jenny that she's a controlling mayor, she doesn't know him, and he wants to be in charge of his own life for once. He wants out. It tells her he misses Liz and her fun and easygoing nature. He feels constantly watched with Jenny and pushed in a direction that she wants to go in. He's had enough. Jenny says that her guests will be wondering where they are, and goes off to tend to them. So this farcical lunch continues. Jenny opens a bottle of plonk and asks how Daisy and Lee met, while Johnny stands with folded arms and rolls his eyes when he learns that Daisy and Lee hang out at a yacht club. Kind of like what you get at the Cayman Islands. Daisy asks how Johnny and Jenny met. He says that she was a cleaner at his factory. Then he brings up their wedding that nearly didn't happen and how Aidan killed himself. Jenny doesn't think this is the time, but he points out that she doesn't want to talk about anything that matters. The affair with Liz comes out, and then how Jenny tried to run Liz over. And no one draws comparisons between this and Grant and the security guard. No. Daisy calls Jenny a dark horse. Jenny goes off to get another bottle, and Johnny follows. Lee wants to leave. Daisy says to do so would be rude. Through the back, Daisy seems to be enjoying this just way a little too, too much. much. Through the back, Jenny's still annoyingly breathing on, regardless, until Johnny tells her to check their bank account on her phone. Everything from their joint account has been moved to his. He's going to give it to Carla and Kate, and he calls Jenny the original gold digger. She tells him if he wants a divorce, she has a condition. They get back through the pub and they finish that dinner party. That's her condition. Right. So Johnny and Jenny continue to be horrible. Lee continues to want to leave. Daisy continues to enjoy the drama. Jenny says that she and Johnny are an old married couple constantly arguing. Daisy says that she and Lee are the same, but he disagrees, and so they start arguing about whether they argue. Johnny and Jenny almost come to blows over whether his favourite dessert is apple crumble or lemon meringue pie. Mm -hmm. 
And so it continues. Lee has gone out for a vape and comes back in telling them that they have visitors and then come the police and it's not Craig for a change. Yes, and Johnny God. is arrested for robbery and GBH. It was lovely meeting you, Johnny says to Daisy. He tells Jenny he's sorry and Jenny tells the cops to lock him up and throw away the key. And then Carla finds Jenny through the back later. Under the circumstances, Jenny thinks that Carla should move out. She explains what happened and promises not to cry. Instead, she calls for champagne. Carla points out that Johnny's trying to make her hate him which should have been fucking obvious to Jenny an hour ago. But here's the thing. I think it was obvious to her. I think, you know, up until up until the point where she saw that he had moved the money, I think she was thinking, oh, you're just saying this because of all of this. And then once she saw the money was moved, it added a real factor to it that wasn't there before. Because at first he's just kind of laughing it off. And no, you really don't. And you're just saying this because of this whole prison thing. I don't know. The whole thing, this whole storyline just makes me want to... Hold on, I've got two sentences and then we're done. All right. Everything has been signed over to Jenny once a divorce is settled, says Carla. Carla wouldn't blame Jenny if she really did want a divorce. And Jenny points out that this is so Johnny and she can't do it anymore. And that's as far as we get with this. First it's one thing and then it's another. Is All they there? had to do was just leave them to it. Or go to the police station himself. Yeah. If he was that bloody determined. Right, yeah. It's what he should have done. So and none of this was really necessary then. No. And especially not on Friday. And and it's not really sparing Jenny all that much to divorce her beforehand. I mean that's if he really wanted to spare her, then he should have transferred all the money to her account because if if after if after this Grant's mum files like a wrongful death suit and comes after the rovers and the money and everything and Johnny's money and everything, if it's in Jenny's name then she can she couldn't touch it. But right now, with everything in Johnny's name and all the money in Johnny's account, she could touch it. None of this makes any sense. Timbot4000 says this does not compute. Correct. Absolutely correct. And you're right in pointing out, especially day of all days, to have the storyline running parallel to to poor Oliver's death. Because this is supposed to be funny. Just... And, and is it parts supposed it. to be funny? Through, through long parts of it, yeah, I think it is. I think it is meant to be funny. It just made me uncomfortable the whole way through. Oh, me me too. I don't think it was successfully funny. No, I think not it was at meant all. to be funny, though. But this was it was meant not to the... be a distraction from the heaviness of the other story to provide a kind of a counterpoint? This is, yeah, not successful. They needed They needed something like Tyrone's eyebrows. To be a counterpoint. I don't think you really wanted anything that was supposedly... If you wanted something that was going to be played for laughs, it wasn't something that was going to take 10 minutes to... Or 15 minutes to... Right. Um, to play out. And not something that's going... That ends in... Two people breaking up and divorcing. Maybe instead of having a storyline B, have a couple of storyline C's that were just... Right. And and move this whole... Because they've been been talking about, oh, here comes Daisy. 
you know, they've been talking up this whole Jenny's stepdaughter is going to... Well, she mentioned Daisy a few weeks ago in, at the bar to, to Gemma, was it? There's been there's been a lot of uh, publicity about this addition to the cobbles. About Daisy, you know, becoming a thorn in Jenny's side on the cobbles in publicity for the show. Oh, good. I'm all for that then. Um, so... They've been really talking it up. A Friday episode where there's this really huge storyline on the other side of it doesn't really feel like... It, it feels like it's giving the whole, you know, here comes Daisy short shrift. Mm-hmm. Should have pushed it to Monday after Oliver's death. Yeah. And I think this is all just kind of on the back of the fact that the whole... Johnny storyline. This is a th- th- this is a continuation of the Ugh. Scott storyline, which was stupid and didn't make an awful lot of sense. Right. And so th- this is the uh, the culmination of it is that Johnny gets arrested and potentially goes to jail for it. And but he doesn't get arrested by anything that Scott says, even though Emma got arrested for something Scott says. It's it takes Grant, the security guard's mum, going to the police and saying, "Yeah, this is a guy." So who was she talking about at the show. start when... I think it was Johnny, but the police haven't shown up or anything. So when she walks into the pub, she knows that he was no, the driver? No, no. I don't think the police have told her the name of the person that was involved. But I think the police have told her that there's been some developments in the case. When Seb got pushed off a ladder, <laughs> the cops descended on the street like a SWAT team to figure out what went on there. Yeah. They're happy, well, I guess it happened so long ago, they're happy just to sit by and let days pass without doing anything about it. No. None of this makes any sense and no. the storyline really should have been over when when Scott got put away. Yeah. Very much so. You know. Our next storyline today is about Summer and Todd. This was just on Monday. It's morning and Billy is packing his man bag ahead of his very busy day. It seems he's worked over the weekend too, which I guess kind of makes sense. Billy suggests that they all bunk off and do something fun, but Billy hasn't had uh, his morning ablutions yet and so pisses all over the idea. Instead, they agree to games night later and it's ladies' choice. So I presume that means summer. summer. Todd sees someone at the bus stop. He checks to make sure that they really are okay and she says that they are. He asks her over to Eileen's for dinner, but Summer has made plans for games night, and Todd tries to invite himself along. And he succeeds. Yeah. I, oddly, he succeeds. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. Because Summer says, well, I'll have to talk it over with Paul and Billy. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine Paul and Billy saying yes to this. Right, because somehow... she's just back. This is our first kind of right. all-together night. Fun night as together. a family. And they're... And... Now they've been dragged to speed dial to hang out there. And they reminisce about, I'm using anecdotes that Todd and Summer share. And I guess you had to be there, says Todd, when Paul's face starts tripping him. Games night uh, continues and Todd and Summer are still behaving like a comedy duo. And it still pisses me off how easily Summer has forgiven this prick. Paul has had enough Seriously? And, and needs to go to work on his helpline. Billy has some paperwork that he needs to finish. Yeah, right. Todd tells Billy to check his email. He's got tickets and an overnight for three people to see Sam Fender, whatever that is. When Todd plays possum a wee bit about not being the one of the three, 
if Foshi's ever one to make a big deal of it. Summer says it doesn't make up for him running away, but it's pretty awesome. And they'll leave as Todd does a two-second smile fade, but not Even the two-second smile fade of the week. No. Oh, no. Even though nobody can go to a concert right now. Right. And when they're gone, Todd phones a mysterious person saying that he might have a gig for them. Wonder what yeah, that what was, was all, all about. about. I don't find it. See, we could have found out what that was about on Friday. Right, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have been hugely interesting, but... No. It would have been better. Yeah. So, yeah, that's as far as we get. I, I, I really am just so disappointed in Summer for giving him. It, it does not... It does not make any sense. And again, you know, the publicity with the new summer coming back and everything was, oh, is she going to forgive Todd? Is is this going to be, you know, there's going to be a clash. She's going to be really angry at him. It's going to take forever for her to forgive him. And then it doesn't. She was a little moody at a bus stop for two minutes. Right. And that was it. Shame. 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 Ding dong, ding dong. Shame. Still don't ding like dong, Todd. Ding dong. No, no. Todd is Todd is the new tit of the street. <laughs> Todd. What a tit. Todd. Talking of which. I was going to start calling him Eileen's son. Oh, why? Because he's a tit. Like Tim's dad. Yeah. We've got some Tim's dad stuff to talk about next, if you're interested in that. Uh, not really, but... Do go on. (laughs) Do go on. Because, yeah, I guess we should really ask, do you have any idea of what Todd's planning here? What's this gig all about? Is it somebody to try and worm their way in between? Who knows? Who cares? (laughs) That's the important part of this conversation. I am finding it very hard to care about this story. Who cares? I think I think we've established a few times that Paul and Billy are strong, that every time Todd tries to throw a monkey wrench in that relationship, it just makes Paul and Todd and Billy stronger. No, I think they're going to succeed at, at at some point, and Paul and Billy will be will be split up, and Todd will maneuver his way back in again. I think that's the long game for it. You know what I realized um, this past week about. Uh, why I like Peter Ash so much. Who plays Paul? He kind of looks like a young Harrison Ford. Throw, throw a, a a hat on him and a and a, a a utility belt with a with a with a whip and a and a brown jacket and and, and, and stab and your eyeballs him, with pens and have him and running away from a giant boulder. Spit an image. Yeah, he could play the young Indiana Jones or a Han Solo. That's who they should have gotten for that solo movie. It would have been so much better. With a Mancunian accent, yeah. <laughs> Could have got Billy to be a young Carrie Fisher. <laughs> so. Princess Leia's not in the solo movie. Tim's fucking dad. Yeah, because that that, that's the one thing that was wrong with that imagining. <laughs> Tim's fucking dad. Haven't got a chance to say that in a while. Is the, the OG tit. <laughs> yep. On Monday, Tim goes in to visit Yasmin in the jail she wasn't expecting to see him on the visitor list and he apologizes for everything for not believing her for ignoring the signs her trapped in the box because that gets a mention again and now he wonders how well the wool was pulled over his own eyes with elaine and his mum he's tormented by it or who he thought was his mum yasmin admits that she used to be the same but in the words of uh, maya angelou if you don't like it 
change it. And if you can't change it, change your attitude. She's trying to live more like Maya these days, and it stops Tim's dad from controlling her. I really liked this. If if if, if it weren't for our other obvious things, this probably would have been my moment of the week. Right. Is is Tim going and, and apologizing to Yasmin? After the meeting, Tim goes to see Alia and announces that he wants to testify against Tim's dad. He saw plenty of stuff. The trapped in the box thing that gets another mention. The CCTV thing. Alia checks to make sure that Tim really wants to testify against Tim's dad. He is Tim's dad after all. Tim is trying to live more like Maya, he says. Yeah. Later, Tim's dad shouts after Tim in the street. He's heard phase news. Tim doesn't want to talk and tells Tim's dad that uh, once he's officially a witness for the defence, if Tim's dad tries to talk to Tim, he'll get done for witness tampering. Tim's dad is shocked, but Tim will do whatever it takes to help Maya Angelou. I mean, Yasmin. Now Alia is visiting Yasmin, confirming that Tim will indeed testify against Tim's dad. Yasmin isn't sure, but Tim knows what he's doing, and he's known that what he's doing is right. Yasmin doesn't look happy though and she's not sure about the trial and she's safe in prison with, with Tim's dad back at home. You know the actress who plays uh, Yasmin said Shelley it, King. Yes, Shelley King said in an interview this week that she wants to play a Bond villain. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. That would be really good. Yeah. I'm all for that. Get Barbara Broccoli on the phone. She should work well with a cat, I think. <laughs> what do you think? Yasmin probably likes cats. But like an exotic cat, like a leopard or something. It can't be a hairless one because that's no. too Austin Powers, oh, isn't it? way too on the, on the nose. Anya tells her to keep her chin up and she has some news about Tim's dad for her. And we don't find out what that is straight away. Back at Speeddal, Alia and Ryan are chatting about Tim's dad and how he really doesn't have any reason to hang around if or when Yasmin is found not guilty. Then Tim's dad hurries down the stairs waving a piece of paper. Court of protection, he says. Oh, good, says Alia. The post has been. He says this changes nothing, but Alia begs to differ. No more power of attorney, no more controlling Yasmin's affairs. He says he'll fight this tooth and nail. Alia wishes him luck, but it'll be his own money he's spending. And when Tim's dad looks confused, she offers to explain the more complicated sections of the notice. After a lot of nasal breathing, Tim's dad leaves, and Alia looks like she very much enjoyed that. As to die, if it hadn't been for other things in this week's uh, story, I think that would have been my moment of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of that uh, scene in um, Emperor's New Groove where Cusco says to Isma, "You know, you've been let go. <laughs> We're going in a different direction." Blah 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 blah. The way that uh, Ali is, you know, spelling it out to Tim's dad. Don't look at me like that. You well, liked wh- Emperor's New Groove when we watched it during lockdown. I remember nothing of it. Really? It's so funny. It's like one of the best Disney movies of that particular era. And and I'm not saying that just because I've met Patrick Warburton, who played Kronk. Yeah, it was kind of forgettable. Oh! On Wednesday, Debbie is working in the kitchen at Kev's when Kev, not working, like she's not making... She's not treating it like it's a restaurant. No. When Kev comes in and asks uh, how it's going and she has to act all nonchalant and stuff about what she's doing on her laptop, Kev's worried about having to do something special for date night. Well, Abby, Abby insists that they do something a little bit more out of the ordinary and he calls it American nonsense. Yes, date night, American nonsense. Of all the nonsense that comes from America, 
date night. Date night is really far up there. And he's kind of been back to being Kev the Crank. Yeah. Because, oh, what, why did you have to do a bottle of Prosecco and a meal? Yeah, why can't we just sit in front of the telly? Neat chips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's wrong with a chippy and a couple of tins? When Kev asks what Debbie's doing, she pretends it's job applications. And then she pretends that it's some... Uh, accountancy affair or whatever and he offers to get it checked out with his guy but she's like nah. nah it's okay I've got it nah she doesn't know what she'd have done without Kev's support and then she does a pretty sterling two second smile fade that is our two second smile fade of the week yes because she shows teeth yep and there's like about 15 different emotions when she's right transitioning from smile to not smile right and she does it with her eyes as well as her her, as her mouth mm-hmm Yes. Later, Debbie goes to see Ray. Number six is coming along, but Tim's dad is going to take some shifting. The pre-planning. See, I thought they already had Tim's dad in the bag. Very confusing. No, I don't think so. They were just she was just laying the groundwork by getting them to to argue with Sally and Tim and create all that stuff with the Mister Bombastic thing. Yeah, no, but remember when uh, she buttered him up by telling him that Alia was on his case. Remember. Like, back in the beginning, before we even knew for sure she was working with Ray Weinstein. Oh, yeah. The pre-planning is being approved, so they need to get moving before they'll be forced to go public with all this. And Ray thinks that he'll take a crack at Tim's dad himself, but not like that. <laughs> Tim's dad Maybe is like leaving that. a deplorable message for Christine when Ray comes in to speed dial. Ugh, and you did a shower after that message. <laughs> for something a bit spicy. Kind of. Does he sing a little song? He does sing a little song, doesn't he? Something about magic. Oh. Awful. Blah. They chat about how Alia shouldn't be working in hospitality and compare war wounds from being hated around here. Ray gets blamed for bad weather, he says. Tim's dad has been looking at Ray's hotel prices and thinks they're a bit steep. Ray offers him the presidential suite for free if Tim's dad agrees to sell his house to him. Yeah, because that's a that's an equivalent. Right. Tim's dad isn't interested. Ray overheard a phone conversation earlier with that. Christine... Need a hotel because you can't take your fancy bit back to your own house? That's criminal, says Ray. And so they talk about escaping to the sun. Ray has a place in Kefalonia and Tim's dad has always been about Cyprus. Ray offers him over the asking price, but Tim's dad just sees that as more money and Yasmin's pocket for her legal team. Fair enough. How about I pay you under the odds and then the rest in cash? No questions asked. 30k in your back pocket untaxed. Tim's dad wants 50 because he couldn't launder 50. Couldn't launder, they couldn't launder 20. Yeah. Ray offers 40. So later, Ray has left and Tim's dad, with two carrier bags full of food, wants a word with Alia. He's changed his mind about selling the house. Alia wonders what game he's playing, but Tim's dad reckons he has no other option. He mentions Cyprus again. He'll have more fun there in his own than he would with uh, Yasmin, but Alia reckons that he'll end up behind bars. Where is Elaine again? It's such a mystery. Is this another of Tim's dad's magic tricks? Alia wants to get him run over now. He's actually a little bit tied up in another storyline at the moment. But Tim's dad has plans. What with Doris? A magic show, he says. Cheerio, and off he fucks. Later. <sighs> Ray and Debbie do a post-mortem on the Tim's dad deal. She's very suspicious of Ray getting involved and is angry at the sweetener that Ray threw at him. Ray says it was 40 grand, but he wanted 70. Nobody mentioned 70. No. Ray's trying to pull the wool over Debbie's, Debbie's eyes. eyes trying to make it look like he got a good deal. Yeah, obviously. Debbie thinks it's shown his hand and now the street could find out that they're behind it. She wants her fucking money, so he'd better have played this right. 
at the garage. Abby and Kev are discussing his piss-poor idea of what a date night is. And then they watch Ray and Tim's dad, replete with ubiquitous plastic bags, discuss something serious in the middle of the street. Back in speed dial, Ryan has been doing his deliveries. Apparently, his last customer was a ventriloquist who made him speak to his weird little donkey. Did did Ryan just get groomed there? <laughs> was he at Richard Herring's house? <laughs> he does have a little donkey. He the does. birthday donkey. The birthday donkey. That wants to die. Yes. <laughs> Why can't I die? <laughs> Alia has been thinking about Tim's dad and his plastic bags. She doesn't believe the magic show excuse. Ryan has found receipts in the van under the seat. They're from a supermarket in Oldham, which has been put into the van sat nav a bunch of times. Curiouser and curiouser, says Alia. Correct. And she wonders if this has anything to do with Elaine. Mm. And I thought this was brilliant because I've been noticing for weeks. Uh. Every time you see Tim's dad, he's carrying plastic bags. Yeah. And it just, I kind of thought it was part of this kind of sad persona that right. Tim's dad was that he's always going away and he's getting his takeaway food. Right. Because he's a lonely old man. Right. I kind of added to the lonely persona. Mm-hmm. And I was had crossed my mind to take screen grabs every time you see Tim's dad with plaza bags. Right. And that was before anything happened this week. And then play um, the end credit music for... The Incredible Hulk. Hulk. Of, yeah. of course. Of course. But, <laughs> but now it seems to have been... I think this is kind of deliberate. <laughs> yeah. That the plastic bags is that he's taken... He's feeding someone. Yeah. Not just himself. Right. And if that proves to be true, I love that. Uh-huh. I think that's that's great. That's that yeah. little inconsequential, almost unnoticeable, mm-hmm. like a kind of invisible part of Tim's dad is the fact that he's carrying plastic bags. <laughs> but this is really, really important. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like if he gets done maybe. with being a serial, yeah, maybe gets done for being a serial killer or whatever, and then all the neighbours are saying, "Yeah, he was never without a plastic bag," <laughs> but nobody ever mentioned it, right? Because it's not noteworthy. No. Although it did kind of strike me as being, this is something I want to take yeah, screen grabs of. Two plastic bags? Does he really need that always, much food? Always wondering about with plastic bags. What's in those plastic bags? Mm. It's little bits of a lane. <laughs> Possibly. What's in the box? <laughs> What's in the box? John Doe has the upper hand. <laughs> that was my Morgan Freeman, obviously. Yeah. On Friday then, Alia sees Tim's dad in the street. He's upgraded his plastic bag to an overnight version. She winds him up Ooh. about his supposed gig. He claims it was in Nottingham and he had an overnighter in a hotel. Ooh. Then he announces that he's going to the doctor's later, probably stress, so he won't be in at work. For his back. She's suspicious, so she goes to see Sally and Tim, explaining that Tim's dad is up to something and she thinks it's to do with Elaine. He's sneaking around, lying about it, and Ryan found all the GPS stuff and the receipts from Oldham. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's been really keen to sell the house and move to Cyprus. Tim says they need proof. They need to follow him. And if there's anything that he can do to help his mum, he will. And this is all done against the backdrop of Oliver dying today and Sally not sure that they should be bothered with this. But I didn't mind this story being part of Friday. No, because it's, as as Tim rightly points out, he needs a distraction. Right. From the whole Oliver thing. Yeah. As as Tim's best friend. Or as Steve's best friend. Who? Tim probably is Tim's <laughs> best friend. If you know what I mean. So... Aww. They go around to the back to the little conservatory and Tim finds a key under the plant pot, as expected. The suspicion is that Tim's dad isn't at the doctor. He's gone back to Oldham. Tim isn't sure what they're looking for. Anything, says Alia. 
Well, that narrows it down. Thanks for clearing up, says Tim. (laughs) And in the um, subtitles, they put a little exclamation point in parentheses. Really? Mm -hmm. That's funny. Because that means it's sarcasm. Mm -hmm. Alia is in Tim's dad's magic room, which has playing card wallpaper and is definitely not a sex dungeon. (laughs) Tim finds a taxi receipt in a drawer with an olden postcode. Alia checks it on her phone. It's Pickford Street. Uh, When Tim's dad returns with the Christine woman, who are you? asks Tim. Who are you? asks the Christine woman. And Alia points out it's her grand's house and she does not have to leave and she's okay to be there and accuses Tim's dad of holding the lame prisoner in Pickford Street in Oldham. But Christine points out that that's where she's just moved to and how Tim's dad is helping her with the rent. Alia points out that it's her grand's money. Tim demands to know what's happened to Elaine and Tim's dad says he threw her in the canal like an unwanted litter of kittens. Tim's dad tells him to get out and Tim swears that he's going to find Elaine. Right. And... (sighs) What I find very frustrating with all of that is that, you know, Alia does most of the talking there and Tim doesn't say, Tim doesn't get a chance to say, I'm his son mm-hmm. and you shouldn't be around him. Right. I'm his son and I'm telling you this. Right. He's abusive. He's abused women in the past. Mm-hmm. He lets Alia do all of that when Tim's dad has already poisoned Christine's mind against Alia. Right. But not necessarily against Tim. So Tim would have been much more persuasive, and they don't allow him to be persuasive. That's Tim, though. That's up eh. to Tim. Nah. And I can see that being from Tim. Nah. Half time at the Inderall Stadium at Alloa, it's Alloa Athletic nil, Hartle Midlothian nil. Don't do that. Back to the studio. <laughs> oh dear. I am. Um, I still have suspicions about Oldham. Wasn't that where Elaine was supposed to live? Oh, that would make it an interesting choice for Tim's dad to have convinced this Christine woman to move up there. To make it easier for him to have an excuse to go there. To kind of cover Mm. his tracks a little bit. Hmm. I thought she lived in Oldham. I could be wrong. She lived nearby anyway. She lived kind of in the area. We still need to find out what happened to Elaine. Right. Let's not forget. She's not dead. He's got. It's he's Paula got her Wilcox, cell phone. For goodness sake. Yeah. Doesn't have the sim. The sim is down the drain on right. Coronation Street. On Coronation Street. Do you think that the police would have been able to find that by now? No, they're t- they're too busy not arresting Johnny for a crime that happened forty years ago. Right. I kind of imagine them being like the the CID in Hot Fuzz. Just hanging around smoking cigarettes and playing darts and stuff. and <laughs> Eating donuts. Right. And doing other, you know, Vital policeman police stereotypes. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I... I... As we approach the 60th... Mm-hmm. As we approach the 60th anniversary, mm-hmm. I think we've been led to believe that this storyline which has been bubbling away and building over years <clears throat> over a year anyway yeah is culminating in something that's going to be happening in the next couple of weeks because when the, the 60th isn't next week it's a week after right and like all the publicity has said you know that this is one of the storylines that will reach its exciting conclusion mm-hmm. in the 60th anniversary so this th- and the whole race stuff and i thought like the whole oliver stuff but the whole oliver stuff is pretty don't. <laughs> Pretty well done. 
det er Møller. Ja, øhm, så der er against there are some options that we have open here, because I, I guess that we're going to have the the trial. Yes. Where Yasmin is found either guilty or not guilty. Mm-hmm. I imagine, and I haven't read anything about this, I haven't read any speculation about the, the 60th, mm-hmm. I imagine she'll be found not guilty thanks to some late emerging evidence. Right, yeah. Possibly it's going to be a deus ex machina. Right. So she's going to get off. Mm-hmm. He's going to get on. And he's not going to be happy about this, mm. obviously. Um, is he going to get... If he gets arrested, I don't think that's satisfying at all. You don't want him to go to prison. No, he needs to die. No, I don't want him to die. He needs to die. I want him to suffer in prison for the rest of his life. But we don't see him suffer in prison for the rest of his life. I don't want him to die. Dying is too quick and easy. Well, you can make it long and... Prison is not easy. Cody has a habit of killing its villains. Yeah. Because if he goes to prison, he has to get out of prison. The the idea of Tim's dad being in prison forever Mm -hmm. and we never see him again. Well, we're never going to see him again. This is going to be an exit storyline for this character. Right. It has to be. Yeah. One way or the other. It right. has to be. I just don't see them making it that he goes to jail. Forever. Because it's, it's unsatisfying. We need the satisfaction of him going through that baiting slicer with the oscillating fan tied around his neck and you know, he actually, in he, flames. He actually had to go to therapy. Because of the storyline. In real life. Yeah, I can I can imagine. Yeah. Because they have really done it exceptionally well. And right. He is, especially Evil. if you're not that person in real life. Which he's not. Becoming that person for hours Such upon hours yeah. of, of your day and of your week. I can imagine that kind of wearing you down. Mm-hmm. And seeing people that you like in the shape of... Shelley King particularly being petrified of you. Right. Would have an effect. And, you know, people hating you on the street. Mm -hmm. You know. Never mind Colson Smith's neighbours being annoyed about recycling. Imagine all the people who hate him in real life because of the character that he acts. Right, they can't separate him. Right. And then carrying all those plastic bags about the place. (laughs) From point A to point B, over and over Probably again. Probably got some nice guns on him now. You would have thought so. Carrying all that viscera of yeah. uh, trying to dump it in the canal. Mm. Yeah, and I saw on Twitter that Ian Bartholomew got a, a, a record deal this week. Oh, good. Grant. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the song that he's releasing for, the um, Women's Aid. Yes. Stuff yes, that was that I told you a about couple a, of weeks ago. Yeah. I think it's on the back of all that. Yeah, um, absolutely. He's got a deal. He does have have a remarkably good voice. He's got a very beautiful voice. I don't mean this badly, but it's surprising when you hear him sing. (laughs) Because you don't expect that voice to come out of Tim's dad. Because I can't separate the fictional character from the real man, clearly. Obviously. Yeah. Okay, we've been around the bush long enough. Oh God, this is going to go to us again. Yeah, it is. Oliver's disbanded legal army. On Monday, Leanne is singing Who Will Buy to Oliver because it's from Oliver. Apparently, Oliver is a big fan of Lionel Bart. Another thing for the memory box. In comes Steve, who gives Leanne a heads up that he'll be uh, getting some memories from Oliver in a wee bit. 
and Leanne is dead against it, but Steve says that she doesn't need to be there, that's why he's given a notice, and she reluctantly concedes. And I quite liked the fact that Steve was just, no, this is what's happening. Yeah, we are I'm, going to do ha- this whether you like it or not. Pretty much. And I was right, she's, she doesn't like this idea. Right. Inman still has keys for the law office because he and Toya are there talking about Ryan's success rate at having a pee. What? Sometimes he hits the seat, sometimes he doesn't even get anywhere near the seat. Apparently. No, I thought... I thought pe- did I just invent a scene? <laughs> I thought, no, no, no. Toya is upset because he flushes every time when he pees. He, you know, instead of when it's yellow, let it mellow. When it's brown, flush it down. I thought that was, that was the whole argument there with Ryan's bathroom habits. I thought he was, uh, he played kind of fast and loose with the, with the aiming. I thought that was mentioned as well. If it wasn't, because he's it, a toddler. It was in my head. Well, it happens to the best of <laughs> or us. Or a teenager. In comes Leanne, who wants to change their tactics now that Steve has pulled out. She's been reading up. But not like that. She's been reading up and she wants to take the... Hes- if only he had, we wouldn't be in this situation. And she wants to take the hospital uh, on a negligence charge. Imran and Toya are kind of, oh, not too sure about this. Right. Back at the hospital, Nick arrives just as Steve's about to start harvesting memories. He invites Nick to join in, seeing as he's Oliver's dad too. And they pay them admit to past faults where they refuse to acknowledge the right to be part of Oliver's life. Yeah. And they bring up the time that Nick got trapped in quicksand. Yes, so we got trapped in a box and trapped <sighs> in quicksand. We got trapped in the box twice and trapped in quicksand for our Cory Bingo card. Mm-hmm. What later on, we're going to get trapped in an elevator. <laughs> twice again, I think. Twice, yeah. What they wouldn't give now to be arguing about sleeping arrangements or weeding schedules. And a little later, Steve wants to get a look at Oliver's hair. Well, Amy and Emma want it. He doesn't think he can do it, so Nick steps up saying that he'll take it from <laughs> the back so no one will notice. Right, because let's let's not forget, Nick comes from a long family line of, of barbers and hairstylists. Yeah, I think the, um, the firstborn becomes a doctor. The secondborn is a lawyer. Right. Thirdborn is a teacher. Fourthborn is a hairdresser. Yes. Fifthborn is a priest. Thank you, Bob Mortimer, for that list. <laughs> so, Nick goes off to do that while Steve steps out to take a call from his new solicitor. I'm glad that Nick has taken the locks from the back and not from the front, because that would have been... Awkward. Yeah. So, a little later still, and Nick has taken... He's taken quite a chunk, actually, of Oliver's hair, just as, of course, Leanne comes back. Right. And she sees the hair in Nick's hand and shakes her head a bit and walks straight back out again. I thought she was going to lose her fucking mind about that, but she didn't. Well, she she does, but she does it silently. Right. She's like, nope, nope, don't even, right. don't even. And then she, she lets loose once she leaves. So Steve and Nick walk into an argument with Leanne in the waiting room. She thinks that taking his hair is sick and they're acting like he's already gone. She gives Steve a hard time for being on the phone when the hair was getting taken, but Steve points out that he was talking to his solicitor because she won't drop the stupid fucking appeal. He leaves and Nick says that this memory box is just Steve's way to get some control like she's doing with the appeal, but this does not go down well and she insists that she's the only one fighting. So Nick says, and leaves her to it. Back at the flat, and man is filling in Toya. But not like that. Steve's solicitor has has filed, which means that Leanne's chances of an appeal are now hopeless. And not only that, he and Ellie are not happy with Leanne's new instructions. Yeah. Negligence is about looking back, says Imran. This was supposed to be looking forward. Right. This isn't going to go well for Leanne, he says. Yeah. And, and again, accusing the NHS of negligence during this time is not yeah. a good look. Yeah, we'll get to, we'll get to this sudden uh, change of wind. Imran and Ellie go to the hospital to see Leanne. 
Elliot tells her that they shouldn't go ahead with claiming that the hospital was negligent. How come, asks Leanne. Because they weren't, says Imran. Leanne thinks that they're killing Oliver and that is a negligence her book and they have to do what she wants. Imran somewhat belatedly says that they don't want to attack the NHS at this time, and then even more belatedly, Elliot reveals that his sister is an ICU nurse who has seen some horrible things during COVID. The staff treating Oliver have made sacrifices too, and if Leanne insists on proceeding, he and Imran would have to step down. Then Toya comes in with some empty cups of coffee, as Leanne gets torn into her legal team, who have decided to wave the white flag. Imran says it's not personal, but it's personal to Leanne, and she calls them cowards. She storms out, Toya chasing after her. Leanne has Paula on speed dial on speed dial on her <laughs> phone. That's that's difficult now. On her phone and leaves a message with her. When Leanne looks like she's going to pass out, Toya insists that she eats something. Thanks for having my back, says Leanne. Always says Toya, but her expression kinda gives her away a little bit. Mm. It was nice to have a, a a brief mention of Paula. I had not seen her in for yeah. for so long. I don't think I don't know if she's ever coming back because she's got that gig at uh is it Doctors? Oh. And she's got that gig where she's... Oh, surely she's coming back. Somebody's wife. Oh, no, she needs to come back. To sit in the hot tub fully dressed, remember? <laughs> I missed that. Good times, good times. Oh, such good times. Back home, Leanne has had some soup and is now sleeping. She's sorry Toya has been caught in the middle of this and she doesn't hate Imran, but she didn't think he'd cut and run like that. And when Toya tries to present an alternate view, Leanne says that she'll never forgive Imran for what he's done. Which doesn't really sound like she doesn't not hate him. But anyway. anyway. Then her phone goes. Toya asks her to ignore it, but Leanne doesn't. And it's Paula, who doesn't want to touch this case with a shitty stick. Toya suggests that Leanne has done everything that she can and she should uh, go spend some time with her son. Leanne thinks the world isn't short of solicitors. And when Toya suggests that she's been irrational, she says that she's not. She's just been a mum. And at the uh. hospital, Steve is looking at Oliver's green handprint. Nick sticks his head in to say cheerio and apologises for Leanne's reaction, which isn't really his place. They wonder what her next move is going to be, and whatever it is, Nick doesn't expect to be part of it. Back home, Leanne has been knocked back by five solicitors, and Toya <sighs> thinks that enough is enough. She and the doctors and the nurses and Imran and Ellie have all done their best, but it's over. Leanne breaks down, saying that she's on her own, and it doesn't feel right not to fight. Toya says it's not the same as surrendering, and that Imran tore himself in two coming to that decision. Leanne now kind of finds a bit of a second wind and is now suddenly uber pissed that Toya wasn't in the dark about all of this after all. She throws Toya out, calling her a backstabber. The only person that Oliver can rely on is her. And later we see her alone, still looking up solicitor's numbers on <clears throat> Vogel. But the appeal, surely, is doomed. Yes. On Wednesday, Leanne is in Oliver's room, seemingly trying to pull on Elle Woods and teach herself law in 24 hours. She's practising a speech. Oh, I'm glad that she didn't give. And is interrupted yeah. when Steve comes in, amazed to find that she'll be re- representing herself. This isn't a parking ticket, says Steve. And Steve is in agreement with Imran and Elliot now. The doctors and nurses have been amazing. She's been doing some reading, though, and she thinks that she can get the newspapers involved. Maybe Oliver won't be denied any experimental treatment that comes along. And then she has the Supreme Court and the European Court of Human Rights as well. She seems to think that she has plenty of time on her hands here. Steve is worried about Leanne and what this is doing to her. Then along comes Dr Howard, who has some concerning news about Oliver's latest blood work. Then Toya and Simon turn up. Simon is sick of all this fighting and sniping, and Leanne is apologetic for two seconds before she starts sniping again. She wants just a little bit of help from Imran with all the legal stuff. Just a bit of coaching. Why wouldn't anybody help her? And she grabs all of her expensive law books and leaves. 
And Steve is back from his solicitor. <clears throat> Leanne immediately starts sniping. She claims that she knows what she's doing. And Steve goes off to see if the blood test results have come back, though. And Leanne wastes no time in going through his jacket pockets and comes out with some fancy-looking legal papers. Steve comes back and isn't impressed that Leanne has stolen his paperwork. She refuses to give them back and tells Steve that he shouldn't be opposing the appeal. She rips the papers up in front of his face, but of course they're just copies of papers that have already been filed, of which I think we already knew from Monday. This appeal is going to go against you, says Steve. Leanne and her bag books turn up at the law office looking for Imran's help. Uh, She's representing herself, which she advises against, and the fact that she can't find representation from anyone else should tell her something. She knows she's out of her depth, but she needs something. But she needs someone to go through the legal facts. She needs someone to translate it all for her. She needs a solicitor. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's what she needs. And he asks her to leave, but she refuses. Is there something like 411 over in the UK? Information? Yeah. There's a legal aid. Yeah. You'd think she would have called legal aid for legal aid. <laughs> I don't know how much they can give if you have the means to pay for it through a normal solicitor. We could just call it, you know, just asking for advice and where to find a solicitor and all that stuff. Legal Aid does more than just help people who don't. I don't think this is a sort of case that you can just get a little bit of advice on. Right. But that's, you know, she's like, I just need a little bit of advice. She sounds like an addict. She just needs a little... Yeah, she's acting. Just she's, needs a little to get her through. And she's acting like an addict as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the escalation. Right. And the desperation and the begging. And the franticness. Mm-hmm. So she wants Imran to phone Elliot. She doesn't care how much it costs, but it's not about money. Neither of them are prepared to make baseless accusations on her behalf. So she locks the door and kicks over a little filing cabinet and demands that she calls that he calls Elliot. She needs help. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, seriously. She rants for a bit about people giving up and not understanding and not helping and not caring. He offers to take her home, but she's not having it. She's not leaving until Elliot gets here. I don't know what she expects Elliot to do. Give her Elliot's advice. Made it, but Elliot's made it perfectly clear as yeah. well, hasn't he? Yes, yes he has. So now we have a hostage situation. Imran <laughs> picks up the phone and pretends to phone Elliot, saying Leanne is there and upset and asking him to come round to see them. Mm-hmm. The phone does ring, so Imran is phoning someone. Yes. <clears throat> and if it is just someone at random, God knows what they just made of that half of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So some time has passed and Leanne has twigged that Imran didn't phone Elliot after all, and he's not on his way. Imran knew that there'd be no point. But Nick and Toy are there, and the mystery of who Imran really phoned is finally solved. They bang on the door, telling her to come out. This isn't helping, says Toya. So what is, asks Leanne. She sits down, which lets Imran unlock the door, and she obviously has a thought of maybe we don't keep the key in the lock the next time. Hmm? (laughs) Nick comes in and tells her that Oliver needs his mum by his side. So she gets back to the hospital to find chaos and alarms and loads of doctors and nurses running about, and Dr Howarth starting to perform CPR while Leanne and Steve watch on helpless. And later, Howarth comes to tell them that that, um, Oliver required resuscitation, but he's stable now. She reminds him about the potential for liver failure, which has meant Oliver was bleeding into his breathing tube, which sounds really, really horrible. Horrible. Steve asks if this is non-reversible and if it'll happen again, and Howarth explains that it will, and they continue to, but they'll continue to try to resuscitate him due to the pending appeal, but there's no guarantee it'll work next time, and this seems to give Leanne food for thought. And that finally, there was a part of me that was thinking that this was a kind of deliberate line of questioning from Steve. 
because he knew the answer to this. This is going to happen again. So he needed the doctor to say this is going to happen again. Right. And he needed the doctor to say, and we will continue to do this really stressful, dramatic, invasive procedure to try and bring him back because... Of this appeal. Because there's still legal proceedings. So basically what Steve's saying is, this is happening and it's your fault. Yeah. To Leanne. Yeah. This is the only reason this is going to happen again is because Mm -hmm. of you. To get her to see sense. Yeah. I don't, know if that, I don't know if that was deliberate or not. I don't think it was. Just the, just the way that he questioned the doctor seemed that he, he was fishing for an answer. Mm-hmm. So it's calmed down later and Steve says uh, that before Leanne got there, all he was thinking was, please don't let him die like this in a panicked room surrounded by medics and strangers. She still doesn't see this as an inevitability, but he says it is. And they have a chance to choose how it's going to end. Surrounded by medics are in their arms telling him that they love him. Leanne takes this as a dig that she doesn't love him, which Steve obviously refutes. But taking this back to court or prolonging the agony isn't love and it isn't kind. Leanne can't do this though and in tears she runs out. And Toya finds her on a bench outside. She talks about a client whose mum had dementia and who was dying and on her last night he kept wanting her to take one more breath. Leanne admits that she liked it when Steve and Nick didn't take as much to do with Oliver, even though she pretended to be angry about it because it gave her control of what he ate and what he wore and how she was quite relieved early when the decision looked like it might have been taken out of their hands. She can't tell him to turn off the machines. And Toy doesn't think anyone will think that she's let Oliver down and maybe this is the time to take control back one last time. Mm -hmm. So that was quite a a remarkable scene. Yeah, Um, that was a good scene. Because I think, you know, if you have sat and watched someone die um, you do you, you're so conscious of their breathing right? and you, you hear it rattle and mm-hmm. you, you hear it you know, thinking that that's not a proper breath, you're not no. getting any oxygen there and it no. gets worse and you're just waiting for it to stop to stop and eventually it, it and eventually it st- does but it doesn't it doesn't properly stop and then it starts again and you think oh, that was it well, it wasn't it mm-hmm. but then it but then it really is it. Right. And at the same time, you know, you just want one more moment with the person. Right. So you want it to stop, but you also don't want it to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can see her, uh, from from Leanne's point of view, the fact that it's taken out of her hands, as much as she's talking about control, if it is, if they couldn't resuscitate him, mm-hmm. then nobody's switching off any machine Mm-hmm. she's not making a decision to switch off any machine mm-hmm. it's kind of done it's like kind of more natural mm-hmm. I can kind of sympathise with that a little bit as well because you don't, nobody wants that responsibility no you have to take it but, Yeah, but you know you don't want it right and uh, Leanne at least has Steve there to be a part of that decision she doesn't have to take it all on her own shoulders Right, but she's relinquishing. Yeah, she's just refusing to. to, Yeah, she's like, I can't do this, but at the same time, I don't want anybody else to do this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a control issue. Absolutely. Toya and Leanne meet up with Steve back in the hospital. Leanne has spoken with him round. The appeal is off. So on Friday now, Steve and Leanne are at Oliver's bed, and Leanne wants to know what data is. Again, there's another kind of real life kind of moment where mm-hmm. 
they have no clue what day of the week it is. Yeah. They have no day, no clue what the date is. Mm-hmm. It's the 27th of November. Back home, Toya drops in to explain to Nick and Simon what happened at the hospital yesterday. The appeal isn't happening and uh, Oliver's taking a turn and his liver's failing. The life support is going to be turned off today. Simon and Nick agree to go to the hospital, even though Simon doesn't think that he can. Yeah, Nick very kindly is like, I will go with you and, mm-hmm. and we will do this together, which I, I thought was... Oh, Nick is just so good. This <laughs> I'm turning into Ben Price fan page because he's so good this week. Yes, um, so good every scene. I just blah. Yeah, he's really understanding, and everything that he's saying is is right. And he's not, but he's not being he's not being too forceful with it. No. He's just saying, you know, that you're going to, you're going to want to have been there. Right, you're going to want to have to had a goodbye. chance to say goodbye. And I was a little disappointed that we didn't get a chance to, to see, see Simon do that because it, it almost became like, well, did Simon actually go? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a moment that's coming up when his family are in the room, and I presume that's the the Simon and right. the, the Amy part and the Emma, and Emma part. Yeah, but I, I kind of wish we'd, we'd seen we'd that. been able to see that. But yeah. you're right. Uh, Nick uh, is just so good. It's a, a bit all of a rock ways. all the way through this. Uh, to everyone. To everyone, yes. <laughs> Including Steve. Nick is everyone's rock this week and he does it so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And just blah. Blah. <laughs> At the hospital, Howarth is explaining what's going to happen next when Nick turns up on his own. Uh, he begs to be able to stay and Leanne, who looks like the fight in Venom has left her, agrees. Leanne decides that uh, he needs his special things with him, which Howarth encourages. And then Steve asks, then? And it was just such a heavy then. Oh. Right, okay, what happens after that? And Howard explains that they'll remove the breathing tube, top up the sedation, and then they'll drift off, and there won't be in any pain. And Leanne re- realises that she'll be watching her son die. Mm-hmm. Later, Steve has a pri- private word with Nick. He's having second thoughts that he did the right thing and coerced Leanne into this. And again, Nick says, nothing could have convinced Leanne other than Leanne mm-hmm. and tells him not to doubt himself he's doing the right thing. So once yes. again, Nick's... Being... Nick is the rock. <laughs> he is literally the rock. Leanne has brought in some toys in his nightlight uh, that he can't sleep without and a toy dog to cuddle. Howarth comes to see them. Uh, Leanne, Nick and Steve. Apparently the family are saying their goodbyes. Uh, Howarth insists that there's no rush and asks them to tell a nurse to get her when they're ready and then she leaves them. Then Leanne realises she forgot his dinosaur pyjamas and she needs to go home to get them. And Nick covers the driver. And Leanne turns them down at first, probably because of the car, but then she accepts it later. And back at the flat, Leanne is frantic because she can't find the pyjamas and then remembers that she left them in the washing machine and they're soaking wet. Nick, meanwhile, has found some train pyjamas, which apparently uh, Oliver also liked. Uh, They have to be the dinosaur ones for Leanne and Mm -hmm. so she starts them uh, on getting them dry. At the hospital, Tracy is worried that Leanne is putting off the inevitable. The waiting is the worst, she says. But waiting is all we have left, says Steve. And he goes off to see Oliver. And later, the jammies are still damp in the washing machine or in the dryer, according to Leanne. Nick says that it looked right to him. He tells her that they need to go and say goodbye. But Leanne, crying as she clutches the jammies, says that she can't. So they sit on the kitchen floor and talk about when Oliver was born in this very building, as it turned out. And the lift because Craig's pet rat chewed on the lecky cable. Well done, Craig. Nick was outside with the medics without a clue of what was going on. Oh, poor you, says Leanne. <laughs> Nick says that she was the first person in the world to hold him. 
and he kind of leaves it to her to mm-hmm. kind of finish that thought and she realises that she has to be the last. So they leave Son's dinosaur jammies. And they get back to the hospital and Tracy wonders what happened to the dinosaur pyjamas. Which is like, for fuck's sake, Tracy. Leanne goes off to change him and his lovely clean train jammies. Meanwhile, Simon's at home and he and Amy and Emma are chatting about Steve's favourite food, chips. Emma wants to make something special for when he comes home. Which is a nice thought, but you don't want something special. You don't really want anything. But it's yeah. cauliflower cheese. But Amy asks for lactose, lactose-free because of her allergies. Emma's sad that she doesn't know these things about her family. And she proposes a game where they have to guess which of the surprising things about them is false. Back at Leanne's in Nick's flat, Gail wants to clean. And Toya doesn't think it's a great idea. She wants them to leave it uh, to Nick and Leanne. And Gail cries as she asks Toya what she's supposed to say to them. And Toya says that, that there's nothing that that she can see. Right, and she says, you know, you're you're a social worker, you're a, a therapist. Mm-hmm. What do I say? And it was nice that twice this week we get mention of, of Toya's profession. <laughs> right. Twice, and which was nice. I think she's been showing... I mean, Jane Danson's getting a lot of plaudits here, mm-hmm. but I think everyone that's involved in this, including Georgia, is... Yeah, Georgia is great. She's because great. she makes the character take a step back mm-hmm. and be kind of separates herself from it, which she has to do for her job before she was in sales at the factory. Right. And she does that really, really well. Yes. And nobody comments on it until Gail until, kind of brought it up. Yeah. So meanwhile, at the hospital, they're beginning to unplug the machines while Steve and Leanne wait outside. Steve talks, trying to justify what's going on, but Leanne tells him to shut up. But she does it kind of more pleasantly than she has in the past. Yes. Howarth lets him in and we see Oliver without his breathing tube. Leanne sobs, terrified at his side, while Steve looks on from the bottom of the bed. And back at number one, Emma's fucked up her own game by giving three truths. Simon gets upset at the idea of playing a game while Oliver's dying. Then in comes Peter, who comforts Simon. He kind of comforts all three of them. He does. Because, you know, Emma asks him if he likes cauliflower cheese. And he does. And he very sweetly says, yes. Yes, love. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. And, and that was very nice. It was it was a nice moment where you forget that we hate Peter. <laughs> right. In Oliver's room, it's all over. Steve and Leanne promise that they love him while Nick and Tracy wait outside. And Leanne and Steve start singing, You Are My Sunshine. And again, Leanne can't get beyond the Take My Sunshine Away line. And she cries with her head on Oliver's chest. And back on the street, Leanne suggests that no one knows what's happened. You know, she can see lights on and mm-hmm. people are having their dinner and right. life's just TV's on. going on. Some people know, says Nick. And it's getting cold. And Tim is watching from inside his house, thinking that they look like ghosts. And Amy, Emma, Simon, Peter and Gail all come out to see them. Steve and Tracy go inside and says that we'll see you tomorrow. At Toya's, she's explaining the circumstances of Oliver's birth to Imran, who surely must have heard the story before. Right. Well, sometimes <laughs> it's sometimes it's comforting to recall yeah, these stories, true. you know, and and to retell them. So we get to hear the elevator story twice right. from and from Toya's, two different perspectives. And Toya's fling with Peter, and Toya explains that she delivered Oliver and Eva's baby, always the midwife, never the mother. Maybe one day, says Imran. Yeah, we'll see about that. Says Toya. In the flat, Nick is going through the food that's been left. There's a meat-free lasagna from Toya, shepherd's pie from Gail, and cottage pie from Eileen. I kind of like the fact that Gail and Eileen, who are constantly kind of 
fighting each other and trying to one-up each other. Mm-hmm. One's brought a shepherd's pie and one's brought a cottage pie. <laughs> I just kind of like that detail. He asks what she prefer, but of course Leanne can't think about food. She goes into the dryer and finds the jammies again, and she goes to take them into Oliver's room. She's like, I need to put these away. Yep. She hesitates before she goes in. And as soon as she goes in, Nick does that thing I think we've all done at some oh, point when he's standing uh, at the counter, when he realises that he hasn't been breathing. He has yeah, to gasp for his, breath. Yeah, his mouth is open and everything, and he's been the rock for everybody mm-hmm. throughout this. And he's finally gotten this moment alone where he himself can grieve. Yep, he doesn't have to he's, be a rock he's for given anyone permission. Anymore. He's finally giving himself permission to grieve. And oh, oh my God. Mm-hmm. I think we've all done that. I know I have. You just you're just so overwhelmed by what's going on that you don't realise that you're not breathing anymore. Mm-hmm. That kind of frightens you, and mm-hmm. then you realise why. Oofed. Yeah. Then in the room, uh, Leanne puts the jammies on the bed, lies down, and falls apart. Is this the first time we've seen the inside of Oliver's room? I don't remember it. Because I, I couldn't tell if those were bears or the moomins on his uh, wallpaper. Everything was dinosaur related, wasn't it? Not the wallpaper. It looked like the moomins, but I think they were actually bears. I like the moomins. Me too. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Oh. I am crying right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> yes. I've... I am crying. I felt a little bit. Uh, <sighs> maybe it's that onion that I chopped up for breakfast this morning was starting to take effect on mine. So I was going Don't lie, we ate pie for breakfast. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Oof. I think I've had uh, I've had complaints about the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there have been a kind of dissenting voices. I, my feel is this has kind of dragged on a little too long mm-hmm. and there have been comments that, well, other stories have dragged on for longer, you know, your mm-hmm. Tim's dad. But this is a story involving the death of a child. And I I, I think that the sh- shorter that you probably can get away with doing that, the, the better. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's been helped by COVID. No. So while it, I, I feel like it has been a long haul to get here, mm-hmm. and we've, we've had complaints about... Uh, we never really knew Oliver to feel no. uh, kind of sympathy. So it was never his story. It was all about no. um, Leanne and Steve. And Nick. And Nick, yeah. And I guess to a degree, Tracy. <sighs> Very much in the right periphery. Right. Yes. But all that said, in the last couple of weeks, I think they've done it exceptionally well. And I think the, um, the way that, that this week in particular landed I, I was just so relieved to get away from angry leanne because mm-hmm. yes. it was making it really hard to to care yes because she was just so overwhelmingly angry right but getting rid of that midway through the week i think really really helped that she kind of she had to come to terms with it. she couldn't be angry as she watched them die right and I was looking for a while, like that was how it was. That's how it was going to go. And I was like, right. please don't do that because that's going to really, yeah, it's going to affect her for the rest of her life. Yeah, and it's going to, it's really going to steal the emotion out of the scene for us anyway. <clears throat> um, there was obviously different opinions that are available, but the yeah the the way that they handled the the, the end of it, 
you know, they they hit so many of the real the buttons of what it's like to go through losing someone, right. not even particularly a child, but but losing someone at host in the hospital where where you see them without all the machines, right, is a really stark image that you're you. When you see them with the machines, it's right. It's frightening. You've, you've kind of gotten used to the machines. But you have got used to it. So when you see them without so it, then, it's like, yeah. oh, you're so small. Right. Because everything that's around makes you look like you're, you're taking up the entire room. Right. And then it's just a bed and it's just a body in the bed. Right. And no matter what size you are, you just it just feels so small and fragile. Mm-hmm. So so that part I thought was, was bang on. Nick's gasp was just oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable that it's the, the the minute detail of bereavement that that, yeah. that they've picked up. All on. these all these little details, you know, from the, the from the three siblings together in a room, trying to distract themselves, and then feeling guilty for trying to distract themselves from the inevitable, you know, to the to Gail and Toya's conversation. To even Tim looking out the window and saying they look like ghosts. Right. You know, you get all these different perspectives and you realize how, even though we didn't get to see this little boy very much mm. when he was alive, how how much his death affects so many different people in so many different ways. Right. You know, and the show really captures that. The show really captures that, how how something like this will affect the whole family and the whole neighborhood where something like this happens. And I think they did that really well. Mm -hmm. Once, once they got away from court proceedings, once they got away from all of that, once they finally got back to the human aspect of this, the humanity of it. And the fact that we're talking about the death of a child, it, it, the show finally clicked back for me and I, you know, like you said, we had a hard time in the beginning caring because we didn't know this child right. at all. But we end up caring so much because we do care about Leanne. We care about Nick. We care about Steve. We care about Amy and Simon and Emma. And mm. I was just so glad that, you know, because this was one of my complaints in the beginning is that here are these children who are going to be losing their sibling and we're not, and the whole Leanne of it all just kind of sucked the air out of everybody else's. The, the point legal of view aspect of the story. was killing the story. It really was. So once we finally got rid of that and and we could have this family story again. It mm-hmm. just made everything so much better. That's it. Yeah, you go back to the kind of the nuclear family aspect of it, which is extended. Yeah. Uh, uh, like uh, it touches so many parts and so many different houses in the street. Mm-hmm. That That's where the real story is. Yeah. Because when we got to the point where the, it looked like the legal battle was over, but then we, we start with appeal proceedings. Yeah. Like, come on. Just to stop. It's, it's, remember what this story is about, right? Yeah, and and the family and the community aspect right. of it, and the fact that so many people now on Monday are 
are suddenly bereaved. Right. And it's suddenly because it's always sudden, but this has been coming for, for a, months. Yeah, for a while. But suddenly bereaved and it's, and it's affected so many of them that mm-hmm. the, you know. It, and see, that was one of the things that I really liked in the very beginning of the storyline. Because remember, in the very beginning of the storyline, when everybody on the street was finding out how very sick Oliver was and people were talking about it who aren't related to him and, you know, like, like Jenny. And you're like, oh, that's right. This effect, this does affect Jenny because she did lose a child right? as well. You know, it's, that was really great. And then they veered away from that. And now they've come back to it. And this is, this is where it's just, this is Corey doing its best Corey. Yep. Being its very best Corey. Being its very best Corey when you're talking about character-driven story that doesn't need all the bells and whistles, Mm -hmm. doesn't need a separate set built for itself. It just (laughs) needs the street and its people. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful. Even when it's (laughs) horrible. (laughs) It's weird to talk about a storyline like this as being wonderful, but this week it, it went back to being very wonderful yeah oh your moment of the week uh, well it's, it's got to be it's got to be that end scene with nick in one room gasping for air and, and leanne collapsed on yeah. that bed yeah i'm gonna have my work cut out trying to <laughs> put these two images together i think I'll, i think i'll be fine i think it'll be fine yeah i think a notable uh mention also to pajamas and oh. uh, I, I i love uh the portrayal of Toya being the the kind of counselor and mm-hmm. the and the telling Leanne that she has to it's time for you to take control. Right. That was a kind of goosebump yeah. moment as and, well. And surrender can still be, you know, this isn't giving in to the inevitable is not right. surrender. Right. You know, it's it's doing the right thing yeah. and I just I, I also really loved the the pajama scene because you know, she's just, she's so frantic about those dinosaur pajamas. And, and, you know, at first Nick is like, well, we just, they're still wet. Mm-hmm. These, these ones are, are good enough. And, and she's like, no, no, it has to be these ones. And he kind of, he gives in and he's like, he's shaking his head. It's like, okay. Right. Does, does okay. it, do you really, does it we'll really need to be these pajamas? We'll, we'll mm-hmm. wait. Yep. You know, it will keep. Right. We'll wait, you know, and he's just so good. <laughs> So it's then seen the um, Nick and uh, Leanne grieving privately is our moment of the week. Our moment of the week. Boring moment of the week, Johnny. <laughs> well, none of that was really it wasn't boring, boring necessarily. I, I kind of hate it that it was. It took up a chunk of Friday. That it, it, it took, a, yeah. It wasn't welcome. No, <laughs> it overstayed its welcome. What part of that... I don't think there was a huge amount of contenders for this this week. Um, so basically the first thing that you think up here is probably going to be it. Was it in the summer storyline? I mean, game night was kind of boring. Well, nothing really happened. They didn't really play a game, did they? They just talked about games and ate speed doll. Oh, game night. Yeah, game night is our... Boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Shall we wrap this one up then? Yes, please. If you've ever walked into a room and found 
Grant, the security guard's mum, standing there with no explanation whatsoever. With Alia. Please drop us a line. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com, which is also our address on Skype for voicemail and PayPal if you want to chuck a couple of bucks into our virtual tip jar. Please. We're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please check out our merch store and YouTube channel, links to which you can find on our Twitter bio or on the other stuff page of talkofthestreet.podbean.com. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or on your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. We will be back next week with more Talk of the Street. Bye-bye. Cheerio.